I really want to thank Miro, one of the most useful tools. They sponsor this podcast. They are my go-to resource when it comes to working remotely and collaborating. They're also great for an office, but let me paint a picture for you. Everyone here is working from home in some capacity. Either we have peers that work from home, maybe we're part in the office, part out. Collaboration can be chaotic. Miro is the ultimate digital whiteboard and visual collaboration platform. You could be a remote team, you could be a creative agency, you could be a solopreneur. Miro allows you to brainstorm, plan, and execute seamlessly. Picture this, you're in a virtual meeting mapping out a huge project with Miro. You can drag and drop sticky notes, sketch wireframes, organize ideas all in real time. You collaborate with your team no matter where they are. This is a game changer. If you are ready to transform your workflow, you have to try Miro today. To show you how powerful it is, I created my own Miro board that you can check out at Miro.com slash success pod. It has a ton of resources for entrepreneurs, but it will also show you all the functionality of Miro. So go to Miro.com or go to Miro.com slash success pod for a ton of resources. Try Miro today. It's going to radically change how you collaborate with your team. A lot of people are just unclear about their target audience. Give us your best advice in terms of understanding how to find out who your target persona is or buyer persona is. You literally can look at your last 50 customers. Mm -hmm. From those last 50 customers, it's no longer guesswork. You can now find what your ICP is. Then you look, who's a decision maker? That's the buyer persona. And once you have your ideal customer profile and your buyer persona, the literal individual is gonna make the buying decision. Then there's gonna be other things that you should think about. Let's talk about pricing. What's yeah. your favorite strategy for pricing? I would usually break any sort of sales process into a discovery and then a demo. I wouldn't actually disclose pricing until I have a really good understanding of what that person needs. The worst thing you can do is Let's move on beyond just podcasts, mm -hmm. sales and email strategy. You talk about an email strategy called pattern pattern disruption. Mm -hmm. I use this hack too. I love it. Could you break it down for us? So pattern well, pattern disruption in any um, in any marketing or sales context means that you're stopping. You're, you're basically distract. Or you're not distracting. You're you're standing out. Excuse me from the crowd. So I'm going to give you like a a very a very tangible marketing example of how this was used. Um, one that you would probably know, and, and it's not it's not a good guy, but he did it well. So Billy McFarlane from um, what was the 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 stupid Firefest? So you know oh, the guy that, that went to guy, jail. Yeah. So an example of pattern disruption is how he marketed Firefest. So how he marketed Firefest is he got all these influencers at the same time to put up an orange screen on their Instagram account, like an orange square. So if anybody was scrolling through Instagram, all they saw was like, you know, uh, Kim Kardashian and an orange square. And then they saw like 50 Cent and an orange square and Ja Rule and an orange square. And that like, that's pattern disruption. That's the concept of pattern disruption. So this is like, you can use it for email, but you can literally use it for quite literally mm. anything. So if you're trying to apply pattern disruption to an actual email that goes out to somebody, um, you just want to make sure your subject line doesn't look like every other subject line. It's very simple. I've had good open rates with hey and then the person's name. Like hey Hala, hey Scott, hey John, like hey Sam. Like these are like it just when you're looking through your inbox, that stands out. 
Mm-hmm. So things like that, even putting people's celebrities' names into your subject line, that, that's pattern disruption. It's stopping mm-hmm. the person scrolling because there's something new and different that they're not used to expecting. And because you get a lot of junk and a lot of garbage in, in your inbox and in, in your, you know, on your social feeds, whatever. So it's just about like sort of finding a way to stand out from the pack. So if your email, you know, send yourself a test email. If it looks like everything else, there's a good chance it's going to be ignored like everything else. So you yeah. got to find a way to make it stand out. Uh, something that we do at Yap is we'll send emails with no subject lines. Oh, that's good, and, actually. <laughs> and then we'll also do emails that say like, it just says appropriate person, question mark. You oh, know? that's good. So like, it, well, is this the, yeah, it makes it sound non-commercial, like, right? It makes yeah, it sound like appropriate it's coming person. from, yeah. And then I it's love like, that. just wondering if you're the appropriate person to talk X, Y, Z. And then you sh- they always respond because people want to be helpful. And they'll either say, no, here's the right contact or no, I CC'd the right person. And it helps us get in contact or they'll be like, yeah, it's me. What do you, what's up? You know? I love that. I, I've used that strategy. So I've never said appropriate person in a subject line, but a sales strategy that you can actually use to get to a decision maker is in the actual body of the email, this is no longer pattern disruption because technically once they're in the email, their pattern is not being disrupted per se um, because it already has been if they've opened it. But what you can do is you can say, is, are you the correct person for such and such? Are you, are you, are you the correct person for making decisions about marketing spend or, you know, uh, tech purchases, whatever it is. And if you phrase it as a question, then the person will, similar to your experience, will say, no, I'm sorry, I'm not that person, but this person is CC'd or please email this person. Like you get to, in a sales context, in a, in a larger, say B2B sales, you have to get to the decision maker. And this is a really good way to get to the decision maker. And it's not mm-hmm. just because you can't find their email. Cause I said before, you could find anyone's email online, but what it is, it's the referral, which is stronger than you just like laser beaming into somebody's inbox with no context. This totally. is, yeah. Yeah, I love that strategy. It really does help. So let's talk about LinkedIn sales mm-hmm. strategy because I know you're huge on LinkedIn. You have like 160,000 followers. A lot of people are trying to sell on LinkedIn. As you probably know, mm-hmm. selling doesn't really work on the feed. You've really got to sell in the DMs. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to understand what is your approach for selling on LinkedIn? Is it similar to email or, or how would you describe it? So when I run a sales campaign and my background is enterprise B2B tech, it was SaaS or telco or hardware, but it was all tech. So the the totality of the email or the sales campaign was, um, it was actually called a, a, a one to few and a one to many. Um, and what that means is you're a sales rep and your one to few means you have your, your customer list that is most likely to buy. In sales, you have what's called an ideal customer profile, an ICP and a buyer persona. ICP can be like industry, company size, revenue size, something like that. And buyer persona could be like CMO, CRO, uh, VP sales, VP finance, the actual person within the company. So you have your ideal list and that's your one to few where you're writing personalized emails and personalized LinkedIn outreach against that list. And then you have your one to many and the one to many is automated against people that were not the perfect fit for your product, but like they could be a good fit. And that's where I would use automated tools. So I'm going to get to your question as to more specific for LinkedIn, but I'm just sort of outlining the whole sales strategy. So if I was going to use this strategy, I would be personally as a sales rep emailing with a sales intelligence tool, some personalized emails to my one to few list. And then I'd be using tools like Apollo or WeConnect to uh, automate my 
email, Apollo is email automation and outreach and sequencing. And WeConnect is LinkedIn automation, outreach and sequencing. This is like a very straightforward B2B sales process that you could literally emulate right now. So again, Apollo, WeConnect, plus you, then you're doing your outreach personally as well. Um, and this type of strategy will work for literally any product as long as you identify your ICP and your buyer persona correctly. Now, LinkedIn in particular, if you have identified your ideal customer profile and your buyer persona, one strategy that I, I mean, there's a million different strategies. The, the goal is to get a conversation started. One strategy that I do use in LinkedIn, which actually I've, I haven't used in a while, obviously, because I'm not selling B2B enterprise stuff, but it is a pattern disrupt, is actually to use a video in DMs on LinkedIn. And this would mm. be for my one to few, my one sales rep to my highest profile, best fit for my product or service, customer list. So I would be recording a 30 second video myself. And that's my, that's my initial uh, contact point of contact with them. It's not like the shit you see on LinkedIn, which is like, like, oh my God, it's like four or five messages of like, like paragraphs of text. And it's like, Hey, can I get a meeting? And then it's like, and you don't even answer them. And like a week later, it's like another paragraph of text ending with, can I get a meeting? That's no good. So if you're going to personalize it, you have to, you have to stand out and you can stand out by referencing something that a machine wouldn't know. Like for example, what their last tweet was and why it's so funny and relevant to you and why you want to talk to them based on a problem that you've seen. For example, maybe you saw a news article about what their company's doing and you want to, you want to unpack how your problem or your, your tech or your service can help solve that problem. You can do that with text, but if you do with video, it's just a little bit more impactful. I, I also used video and email, but a lot of people are using video and enough people are using video and email now, not a lot, but enough where you see those little videos of somebody doing a screen record saying, I'm trying to sell you this product or service in LinkedIn. It's still not used that much. And even myself, when I get a LinkedIn message, when I, when I get a LinkedIn message at the video, I'll at least watch the video. When I get a LinkedIn message that is like four or five paragraphs of text, I delete it immediately. I don't even bother. So if your messaging is right, your ICP and your buyer persona are dialed in, you record a video, you make it relevant, meaningful, and it's not just boilerplate and it's going to the right person, there's a good chance that that person will respond back. Or at least that person will be aware of who you are. And that's that's the objective. And then you mm. can nurture them. Um, but that would be my recommendation for selling like a high ticket item through LinkedIn. Love it. I love the video tip and the DM uh, strategy. It's a really, really good one. So let's talk about ICP and buyer's persona mm. really quick because having the right audience is really important. A lot of people choose an audience that's like finding a needle in the haystack. They they don't know how to find their audience in mass. A lot of people are just unclear about their target audience. So I'd love for you to like really break that down for us. And then also give us your best advice in terms of understanding, you know, if you've got it right or how to find out who your target persona is or, or, or buyer persona is. Yeah, to find the ideal customer profile, Day one, you're making a lot of educated guesses. I mean, you can look to the market. I mean, you can look at and do competitive research uh, to what your competitors are doing and you can see who they're targeting. But the ideal customer profile is, uh, and, and by the way, this does not have to be just a B2B enterprise thing. This is just, again, to your point, the audience that you're selling to. So in enterprise sales, it can be the company. So the company size, the company industry, um, whether or not the company is in a certain geographical location. It could be the company is public or private. It could be um, government or private. It could be over a certain revenue threshold, a certain mm -hmm. employee headcount. It's like any sort of differentiator 
that can identify your company. And, and there's, you're going to immediately say, well, Scott, like, I'm just going to sell to the biggest companies, but you have to think I'm selling a product or service. If I'm selling to uh, a company that is public and, ha and has over, you know, $500 million in revenue, well, there's going to be a longer procurement process. If I'm selling to government, I have to go to RFP. So maybe I know based on my data and my research and, and candidly, you literally can look at your, your last 50 customers. And from mm -hmm. those last 50 customers, um, it's no longer guesswork. You can now find what your ICP is. Um, just a, a note on that. Funny enough, the company Snowflake, huge success story, Unicorn, they built this process where every 50 customers, they would reevaluate their ICP. So it was like mm. a constant feedback that they built into their sales system. They would always reevaluate last 50 enterprise customers. But say you even do it once a quarter. Look at your past 50 customers. You identify uh, the the common threads between the companies that you sold to, and that that is your ideal customer profile that you have to sell to. And then within that company, then you look, who is the person who made the decision in that company? Who's the decision maker? That's the buyer persona. Buyer persona is like quite literally the characteristics and the job title of the person who's buying, signing on that, signing on that PO um, in that organization. So again, I mentioned before, but it can be any, it, it can be anybody, obviously, but it could be CMO, director of marketing, CRO, CEO, VP finance, director of finance, it doesn't matter, CTO. You have to identify who that is. And then once you have your ideal customer profile and your buyer persona, the literal individual is going to make the buying decision, then there's going to be other things that you should think about like decision influencers, not just the decision maker. Buyer persona is very similar to the decision maker. A decision influencer in a company, for example, say your buyer persona or decision maker is director of marketing. The decision influencer could be the CMO and the CEO and the CTO. So maybe the director of marketing is buying a technical marketing product, but they have to get sign off and budget from CMO, the CEO, the small company they care, and the CTO has to make sure there's no security issues. So you have your decision maker and your decision influencers. And what you can actually do to get sort of alignment across your organization, you're creating these avatars and you put faces of people in a deck or in, in some sort of database that represent these people and the different types of uh, things that you've noticed about these type of person, the education, the salary, um, where are they most likely located? doesn't really matter. There's, there's things that you can sort of understand. It's not everything you can figure out, but you can figure out enough to at least have an educated uh, opinion of if you're going into a new company, that person looks pretty similar to the last 40, 50, 60 buyers that I've actually dealt with. So I know that that's probably the person that I want to be dealing with. And the reason why it's so important to know that First of all, you have to make sure you're speaking to the right person and you're not speaking to just a decision influencer. But if you are speaking to the buyer persona slash decision maker and you want to increase what's called sales velocity, the technical term meaning that you want to increase the time from when you make contact with the company to when the actual deal closes, which is what everybody wants to do. It's also called sales, you know, sales cycle. You want to reduce your sales cycle. Um, you start to educate that person on who else has to be involved in the deal because that person doesn't always know. So new director of marketing, say that's your buyer persona. They don't know that in the past 50 deals, you've also had to bring in CEO, CMO, CTO. They have no idea. This is their first purchase. In the first call, you're gonna be educating them and you're gonna be saying, hey, listen, in our past 50 deals, these three people had to be involved in this, in this conversation. So to make your job easier, bring them to the next call so we can get alignment across the people that are the key decision influencers. And that just speeds up everything. And honestly, I want people to understand that for the buyer, 
that's not invasive and it's not threatening and it's not pushy, it's like very helpful because that person doesn't want to screw up. And that person doesn't want to look like an idiot. Nobody wants to show up at work and look like an idiot. So the more you do to help them do their job and buying is part of their job, that's why you're talking to them. They have to buy something to improve something about what they're doing or make money or do something. There's a reason why they're looking at your, your service or your product. So help them buy your product and help them make the decision and help them involve the people that have to be involved and help them understand why companies struggle to buy your product in the past, switching costs, legal terms that are confusing, whatever it is. Sales is all about, this is a, we're sort of dovetailing into the, the thesis of what sales should be, but sales is all about helping somebody buy. It's not about yeah. pushing a product. It's helping somebody buy better, helping somebody buy easier. You are truly the consultant, but it, I think that it's not just on the product, it's on the whole process that you have to educate the individual. So when you identify your ICP, your buyer persona, that's just getting the knowledge to target better. So you have the right conversations with the right people and you have the right information to make their life easier. Mm. That was like such like a rock solid explanation. Like <laughs> so, my... so good. I would, it's really, really good. You're so yeah. smart in sales. You need to put out a sales masterclass. Like you have all these, yeah. like, my wheels are spinning. I'm yeah. like, he needs to come present to my mastermind. So I can, I can talk sales talk... all day, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about the actual process conversation. So um, mm -hmm. there's a few things that I want to talk about. The first is the importance of questions. A lot mm -hmm. of people think their job at a, as a salesperson, especially new salespeople or people who are just starting side hustles, everybody has to sell. Once you become an entrepreneur or have a side hustle, your job becomes sales, uh, at mm -hmm. least part of it, right? And so a lot of people make the mistake that they think they have to be the one talking the most on their sales calls, when in fact, you really should be listening and asking the right questions. So can you talk to us about the importance of asking the right questions and any of your philosophies around that? Yeah, bam. Registration for my LinkedIn Secrets Masterclass is now live. Learn what took me five years in just two days in a live workshop directly with me, where I teach you the ins and outs of the LinkedIn platform. You might know me as a podcast princess, but I'm also the LinkedIn queen. I'm one of the top influencers on the LinkedIn platform. And I also run Yap Media, which is an award-winning social media agency and the number one LinkedIn marketing agency. I've created influencers over and over again the last three years. Now you can learn all the strategies that I use for me and my clients and leverage them for yourself. In my LinkedIn Secrets Masterclass, I teach you how to develop a personal brand. This is a personal brand that you can take off LinkedIn as well. You actually leave with a voice guide that we do together in class. And I'll go over the psychology of design, copywriting hacks, the LinkedIn algorithm, engagement hacks, and how to convert your following into sales. Because at the end of the day, we all want ROI from what we're doing on LinkedIn. If your target audience is on LinkedIn, you need to take my LinkedIn Secrets Masterclass. So whether you're a corporate professional who wants more job security, a solopreneur, freelancer, or entrepreneur who wants to grow their small business, you need to understand how to grow your following on LinkedIn and then how to convert that following into sales. Learn how I grew Yap Media to $5 million in revenue with zero paid ads, all for my organic content on LinkedIn. I credit LinkedIn to all of my success. Honestly, I wouldn't have this top podcast. I wouldn't have my company and my big team if it wasn't for LinkedIn. So if you want to learn more about my LinkedIn Secrets Masterclass, you can go to yapmedia.io slash course and use code masterclass for 25% off. Again, that's yapmedia.io slash course and use code masterclass for 25% off. Yeah, sure. So uh, when you're going on a sales call, your objective should be to talk less. The person who talks more is... is always a customer and there's even 
tools at a, at a much larger level to gauge this. Gong actually listens to calls and reports back on who talks more and talks less. And it again, the sales rep should always be talking less. Uh, so you're asking questions. You are actively trying to either qualify or disqualify the customer and, and, and really trying to disqualify the customer because there are always more customers out there. So what I mean by that is before you go into that call, you have the information and when you go into a sales call, you have the information that you have to get out of the customer. So there has to be boxes that that customer has to check to move to the next stage in the sales cycle. Uh, other things that you should have are little anecdotes and stories that you can interject into the conversation that in 30 seconds or less will um, uh, uh, very tangibly articulate how the product or service that you're selling has helped a similar customer in the in the past. So you interject these stories to make the things you're speaking about a little more tangible. Just It sounds off the cuff, but these are all prepped. So you have your questions, your anecdotes, and your stories, and then you have your call to action. Um, and that's really it. That's what you go into a discovery call with. And when you go into a discovery call with those questions, again, you ask the questions, you wanna qualify or disqualify. Disqualification is almost more important than qualifying in a sales process because if somebody is not qualified, meaning they don't have the budget, there's no meaningful event, meaning they don't wanna buy it right now, but maybe they're gonna buy it in a year from now. Uh, they're not the right person. There's a million reasons to disqualify somebody. You have to focus on disqualifying because if you if you don't disqualify ruthlessly enough, that person is gonna F up your whole sales cycle and every single person that deals with them after you. So mm. it, like for, from everything from say it's like an, uh, a, a, like a cold caller inside sales rep to like the, the account manager to fulfillment and order processing and every single thing that person touches in your organization. If you don't have, if you have not qualified them or disqualified them properly, it's going to screw everything up. It will truly yeah. mess everything up. And by the way, psychologically, customers love to be disqualified. They it do. makes them want they want the product more. People and they'll want work. What they they'll can't work to qualify themselves. So they'll work. Yeah. So if you say, like, hey, listen, like, why are you looking at buying this tech right now or this service right now? Or do you have budget for it? And and the, and if you say, Well, why don't you come back to us and such and such? And they're like, No, 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 it is a priority. Actually, it is a priority. And then you're like, okay, so if we can confirm with decision maker that this is a priority at this point in time because of this reason there's this meaningful event then we'll have a conversation but but you have to say candidly like if you're not going to make a decision for six months i'm happy to give you all the information but right now this is not something that we want to take on like you have to push that person away because they will qualify not rude but you have they they understand too that there's only so many hours in a day for your for your sales team they have to focus on on the on the people that will actually convert I want to take a second and thank Indeed. They're a huge sponsor of the Success Story podcast. And as business leaders, we're all driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. It's to match with Indeed. Now, if you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. You need to ditch the busy work. You need to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. All the tools you need are in one spot. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent 
fast. And listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Clary. Just go to Indeed.com slash Clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Clary. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by NetSuite. Now, as a business owner, I always remember when my company hits a growth spurt. It's great, but then you realize that things start to break. Things are taking three times as long. Manual processes start to bury your team in paperwork and admin, and you really don't have one reliable source of data or truth to understand how healthy your business is. If this sounds familiar, you have to know three numbers. 37,000, that's how many businesses have upgraded to NetSuite, the number one cloud financial system. 25, NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years streamlining accounting, inventory, HR, and more for growing companies. And one, because your business truly is one of a kind, NetSuite gives you customized solutions so you can manage everything about your business in one place, from inventory to invoicing, one powerfully efficient system. I love having all of my data in one spot. NetSuite allows me to do that. It gives me the big picture so I can make smarter decisions. And they turn complex financials into understandable actionable insights. Right now you can get NetSuite's popular KPI checklist for free to help improve your business. It's designed to help you boost performance across key areas of your business. Go to netsuite.com slash Clary to download the checklist and see how one complete system can transform your growth. That's netsuite.com slash Clary. Get more control in your business with NetSuite. Just a quick question. Have you ever had one of those oh no moments when you realize that you accidentally deleted a huge file or worse, your whole computer dies? I know I have. It's happened to me a lot, but don't sweat it. The sponsor of today's episode, Backblaze, they have your back. It is unlimited backups for all your Macs, your PCs, or even your whole company. And it's really affordable, under a hundred bucks a year. If you're running a business, they take the stress out of protecting everyone's data. If you need more bells and whistles for compliance, so on and so forth, they have enterprise options too. Honestly, losing data sucks, but Backblaze makes getting it back easy. They have restored billions of files. They offer tons of restore options, including rapid recovery in an event of data loss or ransomware. And you can access your backed up data from everywhere and anywhere in the world using their web app, iOS, or Android apps. It's been recommended by the New York Times, Inc., Macworld, PC World, LifeWire, Wired, Tom's Guide, 9to5Mac, and tons more. And best, you can try it fully featured with no risk at backblaze.com story. They set up that link for all success story podcast listeners. That is a no risk free trial at backblaze.com story. Seriously, back up your stuff. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. 
different. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone, and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all Success Story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now and this is why we actually decided to work together. Heaven Hill Distillery, family owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story too. So there's five brothers, they filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935 and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think that answers your question. And then, like, the call to action is important. So, qualify, disqualify, um, uh, anecdotes and stories just sort of help uh, reinforce what you're trying to talk to them about. And then call to action, like, on the call, set expectations for next steps. I think just hanging up a call and not setting expectations is a big, it's a big issue. Like, don't just leave it to the email after like get verbal commitment and you can take it a step further i don't like doing this some people do it they like actually make you accept the calendar invite live on the call it's like ugh, ugh, to me whatever but like at least set expectations so you can say hey you know the next step in this would be to talk to an account manager or to give a demo whatever it is um i want to i want to speak to you uh sometime next week and if you've qualified them properly and you've told these little stories throughout that reinforce why they should be buying it, it should not be like you're trying to force them to take a next call. They should be like, yes, actually a super priority right now. I want to speak to you. Can you do like next Monday? At like, you know, I'm free from like three to five Eastern, whatever. And then you say, okay, no problem. Uh, I'm going to send you the invite after this call and I'll send you a summary of what we spoke about. Just make sure we're on the same page. Um, and then you go from there. I wouldn't, I personally don't like doing the live calendar thing, but the point is you're setting expectations. You're getting verbal alignment on what next steps are. And then you follow up on that. Yeah, a couple follow-up questions. So in terms of the stories that you're yeah. telling throughout the call, I know that people retain information better with stories. Mm -hmm. This is how the, the brain works. Just throw out some examples, quick examples of how you can just like have little stories. I had Donald Miller on the show. I love Donald. He he's talking good. About, he's, he's very great. good. He was talking about storytelling and sales, how important it is. But I'd love for you to just give like any mm. little example. So testimonials, I think is an obvious one, like help customer do X, Y, Z. They got these results. You hear that sound, Young and Profiters? You should probably know that sound by now, but in case you don't, in case you're a new listener, that's the sound of another sale on Shopify. Shopify is incredible. It's an all-in-one 
e-commerce platform that is revolutionizing millions of businesses worldwide. You can use Shopify for any business, whether you're selling homemade jewelry, physical products, cookbooks, or a digital course like me. Shopify simplifies selling online and in-person so you can focus on successfully growing your business. Shopify is packed with all these industry-leading tools and integrations to ignite your growth. They have everything from on-demand printing to accounting to even chatbots. They have everything you need to totally revolutionize your business. And running a business means that you need to get all the insights you need wherever you are. Shopify has a dashboard that you can log into and you can see all your analytics. You can manage orders, shipping, payments from anywhere no matter where you are. Shopify covers every sales channel as well. So whether it's an in-person POS system and you're selling something in person or an e-commerce platform, they even sell across social media like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 help and an extensive business library course, Shopify is there to support your success every step of the way. So I actually personally use Shopify. I love Shopify. I've been using it for over six months now. And I launched my LinkedIn Secrets Masterclass using the Shopify platform. And it was super easy to use. It took just a couple of days to turn out my website. We have a back end and a really nice looking front end. And we've already made over $200,000 leveraging Shopify's capabilities to sell my masterclass. So really, I think the key thing with Shopify is because it does all the heavy lifting for you when it comes to setting up your store and collecting payments and the data along with it and the tracking along with it, it really enables you to focus on the things that matter, like your product, making sure your product is the best it can be. For me, it's my course. I really had time to just focus on my course. It also enables me to focus on the marketing and make sure that I'm driving leads to my Shopify page. So Shopify lets me focus on what I'm good at and Shopify does what it's good at. And damn, Shopify is really good at what it does. Shopify and logging on to Shopify is always the highlight of my day. I'm really not lying when I say this. I mean it 100%. I'm addicted to going onto the Shopify platform because it's just so much fun. It's really easy to use. I can go in there. They've got like a chat bot. I can answer any messages if somebody chatted us. I can go see who signed up, how many orders I got. I can go see our conversion rates, how we're doing. I can see where the leads are coming from and what marketing channels need more help. I can also see a global view of where everybody is logged in from, like all the potential customers, where they're logging in from, what part of the world, what stage of the buying journey they're in. And I can actually see when people are about to check out. It is such a dopamine rush to see like four or five people checking out at one time. And Shopify is so cool because if people don't end up closing out and not purchasing and they just abandon their cart, Shopify will actually notify you and suggest that you send an abandoned cart email. Shopify gives you all these little tools and tricks to close more sales and they're really by your side. I love Shopify. If you want to start your small business, if you want to start that side hustle, this is your sign. It is your turn to get serious about selling and try Shopify today. This is Possibility powered by Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash profiting. Again, go to shopify.com slash profiting. And by the way, that's all lowercase. Profiting is all lowercase to take your business to the next level today. Again, that's shopify.com slash profiting. Yeah, that would be, I mean, that, that would be probably the most important. I think it, I think what I'm alluding to is more testimonial style. I, I can try and think of something off the top of my head, like just like an example story, but that's what I would actually. But, but, but that's what you're thinking of. Testimonials it's testimonials. Are... So it's like, okay. it, it is pure testimonials. I don't need to tell stories outside of what the customer is trying to solve. So I'm literally thinking like, okay, so say like my customer is, I'm going to make up a customer. <laughs> like say my customer is Walmart and they wanted to 
it's a ridiculous example, but whatever. They want to migrate. They want to migrate their their services from um, on-premise uh, data centers to cloud data centers. And I'm and my person on the call is Target, whatever. And I'm just I'm literally walking through the process and the results they achieve by migrating their servers from on-prem to cloud and what that accomplished and the efficiencies and the cost reductions and all the different like KPIs that they achieved in, in literally like 20 seconds. It's, mm. it's just that it's, it, that's not, it's not overcomplicating it. And just having like five or six of those like lined up, ready to go. That's, that's all you really need at this point. Um, there's, there's places for storytelling and sales, but this is like not meant to take over the call. It's meant to just like, think of the story as like a period at the end of the sentence. Like you ask a question, they answer, you reinforce their answer with an exact case study in 15 seconds or less or 30 seconds or less of a, of a similar customer that accomplished exactly what they're trying to solve for. By the way, this conversation is so engaging for the prospect because yes. they're being asked questions. People love to talk about themselves. People love to talk, hear themselves talk. Then you're telling them stories, which keeps them engaged and entertained. They're they're highly engaged throughout the conversation and will remember everything that you said. They're, and they're starting to visualize what success looks like. So you you know that if that buyer is trying to, same example, trying to migrate from on-prem data center to to cloud, they have like costs in mind. There's like they want to get rid of like a warehouse that's going to save them like whatever thousands or hundreds of thousands of dollars. So like you walk through the results that were literally achieved by someone else that was trying to accomplish the exact same thing. It just realizes, it materializes. They're like, oh my God, I'm not crazy. This is a great idea. Look at, they've done this before. And this is like, you know, take an example that you do. Like you work with people that want to grow audiences. Like literally the story should be like, hey, I worked with this uh, this person. We grew them from mm -hmm. this to this. They closed this much business. They they got in this magazine. Like it's so easy to put these and plant these ideas because then it makes it real. Because then that person, the customer is going to hear that story. It's going to stick in their brains. There's a reason. And you can listen to another one of Hala's podcasts as to why stories stick, but there's going to stick in their brain <laughs> and they're going to go look at it. And they're like, oh, shit. They're going to look at one of Hala's clients and be like, look at what they've accomplished. And Hala, don't lie. Like if like, don't, if it's like public stuff, like you have to tell the truth. Like if this person was like in Forbes or whatever, or got their podcast to this ranking, they're going to go check it. They're going to be like, she's a real deal. Yeah. Yeah. And and I love to do that. I, I do that all the time on my discovery calls. I will go look and see like, what? how can I find the a person who's similar to them and yeah. I'll have that top of mind to be like, this is a person who's a good example for this client because they have, they That's both it. started at 20,000 followers or they both are speakers and authors and, and you kind of go into that. So let's talk about pricing. At what point in the process, I know I, I personally do never give out pricing on the first call. No, what's I, your, what's yeah. your favorite strategy for pricing? So I usually break, pricing? yeah, I, I would usually break any sort of sales process into uh, a discovery and then a demo. And the demo can be, I, I've, I've seen your demo. It's awesome where you walk through the actual process of what you do for clients. That's when I would discuss pricing. I would discuss pricing, mm -hmm. but I would actually, I would, I would make sure that that person has an expectation of a certain budget that they'd like to commit to this project, but I wouldn't actually disclose pricing until I have a really good understanding of what that person needs. And I would probably understand that a little bit better in a full demo. So you do have, and, and I mean, if it's a smaller item, you can combine these things, of course, but mm -hmm. I like a two-touch approach. So you have a very quick discovery, so you don't waste too much time. Discovery can be 15 to 30 minutes, 
where you, again, you have your qualifying, disqualifying questions. And some of that can be budget conscious, but not going into the actual hard numbers because you need the information to quote accurately. The worst thing you can do is underquote or overquote. doesn't matter. It just sucks. You can't do it. Um, and then in the discovery call, that's when you can start talking pricing. You could psychologically anchor at a higher rate in your discovery call to prep them for a lower price. That's a psychological trick saying, well, on average, you know, budget required is, I don't know, say 100K a year, okay? But when you actually present the price, because you've anchored at 100K a year, it's actually going to come in at 60K. And that's a little bit of um, a psychological trick. But still, I wouldn't quote them out until the second call and they understand everything that I'm doing for them. My literal next question is, I love psychology <laughs> and sales psychology. What are your favorite hacks in terms of sales psychology? Hmm, that's a good and question. human behavior. Human be well, we, we've alluded to many. A lot of the things that we spoke about. Stories. We talked about stories. stories. I'll give out one. <laughs> while you're thinking, I'll give out one of yeah. my favorites. Go. Chris Voss taught me this. And he always says, price is at an odd number. Pricing at an odd. <laughs> so like. So, so, so all, he never does even numbers because odd numbers make people think that there was uh, some cost analysis done behind it. Whereas even numbers, people think you pulled it out of the sky. So always give an odd number for your pricing. So I'm going to, I'm going to say something though. So okay. every piece of advice that you get, you do have to take it with a grain of salt. And, and I, I'll, I'll, I have a couple others I'm going to mention, but the reason why is because for premium products, whole round numbers convert better than fractional numbers. Mm. So for, if I'm looking at a product that I think in my mind is premium, a, 90, a, a dot 99 or a dot 97, it seems budget. But if I'm like, mm. if I, so think about this, for example, you see a, 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 a uh, 45.00 on a website versus a 44.97 or a 44.99. 44.99 in my mind signals that there's a discount. I'm not, what if it's a premium product? I don't want there to be a discount. I want this to be like the best of the best. And you'll actually notice that premium brands do not, they, they, they have whole numbers. They have, they have round even numbers that are like mm. .00 or like, so like 40.00 or 45.00, they'll like do increments of five or 10 or whatever but they won't do discounts. I, I think it really depends on the market that you're serving and, and the That's precedent that you're, anyway, so other, um, okay, so we spoke about, excuse me, we spoke anchoring. about um, anchoring. Uh, mm -hmm. We spoke about, uh, we, we spoke about social proof. Stories are social proof. Um, we spoke about, um, we spoke about a little bit of pricing strategy. Uh, reciprocity. Reciprocity is, is a really good one. So reciprocity literally means you're giving somebody something um, and you're not expecting anything in return, but there is a, a, a human psychological condition that when you give something to someone, they want to give you something back in return. Mm -hmm. So, um, I mean, this is what you see, content is reciprocity to a certain degree. Uh, mm -hmm. White papers, um, YouTube videos, all of that is some level of reciprocity. Take it way back in my career, a very simple example. Um, when I started working in telco, like like for the first year, was dealing with cell phones. Like it was, I started in a mall, and then I moved into corporate, and I, I worked my way up. Um, but I started like selling cell phones in a mall, and the people that I convert and like close deals on were the ones that came in with like a broken phone and they couldn't fix it. And then I fixed it, and then I still bought a new phone. <laughs> it's like it's it's so simple. Like you fix the problem, or you give them a solution, or you point them in the right direction, or you do as much as you can for free. And then they'll always come back. So for you, 
if I was going to say, how do you incorporate reciprocity? I would give people free like LinkedIn audits because you know, mm. you're not going to do, they're not going to do it themselves. You could literally give your LinkedIn masterclass for free. And then you can say, listen, this is everything you got to do. By the way, if you don't want to do it, here's my, you know, here's my email. And you'd probably convert a significant amount of clients because they trust yeah. you now. And they're like, I'm not doing this for myself. Would you consider, so like the, the two-step discovery to demo, it's interesting that you say that because when I do my discovery calls, I, I usually do the demo in the discovery call. The first 10 minutes I'm doing discovery, mm. then I go into the demo, then I do pricing on email. So very different, a little different than what you described. Would you consider that initial discovery call, which is basically all about the customer, a level of reciprocity that you're giving your, your time just trying to figure out their problems and listening to them. Do you think that yeah. is reciprocity at all or no? I think, I'm just wondering. Yeah. I think it I think it really depends how you show up and and, and what you actually give them. Um I think that I think it can be if used properly, yeah, for sure. Anytime you give value, it's going to be considered reciprocity. there's going to be a reciprocity component to it. Um so I would say how do you give value in that 15 to 30 minute call? Find a way to do that. Like, I don't know what the answer mm -hmm. is, but find a way to do that. Find a problem that your customer has that you can not completely, because you won't be able, if you're selling a service, you can't fix everything in a, in a discovery, but you can, I mean, maybe you can point them in the right direction and, and, and help them educate themselves a little bit totally. better. I would say, yeah, totally. Like any point where you can provide value, like take it, take it a thousand percent. I like, you know, you can even, this, this has actually helped me when people use this on me, it helps me make a decision to go with them. When they tell me who their competition is and what I should be looking for in a good vendor, it's strange, but I always go back to the person that references that. I all, cause I trust them the most. These are all like, not tricks. They're just like, these are things that just happen when you give to another person. People think they're tricks, they're not tricks. It's like when I'm giving to someone else as much as I possibly can, like things do come back. And, totally. and I, and I do believe, yeah, that's a great, great point. I've never thought about it like that, like explicitly, you know, saying in this discovery call, it's, it's a, it's a, an opportunity to give, but it totally is. And you should take it. Yeah. And, and I do like, I, the only reason why, by the way, to your point, why I like breaking up the sales process into one and two is because if I do one, right, my two is personalized. I cannot yeah. ever do one and done personalized as much as I would love to. And then you give yeah. overload of information if you don't do it personalized, because I'm just like, this is all I do, this is all I do. And then the person's gonna be like, okay, that's great, but like overwhelmed versus wedge strategy. Wedge strategy means you start with one product or service and expand wallet share, expand the amount of money over time the customer spends with you. Wedge strategy means you go in like, like super surgical, like super precision on like the thing they actually have to do right away. For your example, for, for you, like maybe they have to grow their podcast. You don't talk about anything else. It's like a footnote, that's mm -hmm. it. But you talk about the one thing they got to solve for, you close that deal and you then in three months, then they're super happy with you. Then you're converting all the other services at a much higher rate. And I don't know your conversion numbers at all, but I'm just saying to me, that would make the most sense. Yeah. So I ask uh, two questions at the end okay. of my show to all my guests, Scott. And the first one is, what is one actionable thing our young and profiters can do today to become more profitable tomorrow? One thing that a young and profiter can do today, I would say, learn about the, the concept of leverage. 
I, I am a big believer in leverage. Leverage money, leverage people ethically, leverage systems and processes, leverage technology. Find a way to leverage it because anyone that's ever built anything has leveraged and has not just done it themselves. And we spoke about many opportunities for leverage in this call right now, but everything that you do, you can leverage it to a degree and make your one input equal 10 output. So understand mm -hmm. that concept and look for those opportunities. I mean, they're with talent, Upwork, TopTal, Fiverr. They're with even fractional talent in North America, hiring somebody part-time as a, as a gig economy worker to fulfill a certain role in your company. Leveraging money, leveraging, uh, leveraging money. I don't love raising money, but if you have to, you leverage VC money. If you want to buy a business, we just touched on that, why you could buy a business versus start one. You could leverage the bank's money and get something that's already... Uh, already sort of built out and leverage that. Leverage tech, leverage AI, leverage automation tools, leverage, leverage, there's even tech that allows you to build out SOPs that will allow you to deliver those SOPs to uh, your workforce that's based anywhere in the world that will allow you to leverage people. So like look for leverageable opportunities. And I think that's like the number one trick that will really take whatever it is you're doing to the next level. Mm. And then the last question is, what is your secret to profiting in life? And this can be beyond just financial profiting, however be, you want to take it. It has to be beyond financial. Like I ask, I ask everybody, what does success mean, right? And it's always freedom. And I think that I, I do believe, I mean, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm, I've been indoctrinated with that answer because so many people have said it, but I think the goal should be to achieve freedom. And I think that what freedom means is what you're doing whatever you want to work on. And I think that that's when you start profiting in life. When you start living life is when you are, when you feel a certain amount of energy and excitement in everything that you do. And again, it's agnostic of what you're working on. It could be charity. It could be family. It could be building a business. Like it doesn't matter if it's classified traditionally as work or not work. It's that you have freedom in whatever it is you do. And that's when you're profiting. I want to take a second and thank Indeed. They're a huge sponsor of the Success Story podcast. And as business leaders, we're all driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. It's to match with Indeed. Now, if you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. You need to ditch the busy work. You need to use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster, all the tools you need are in one spot. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent, fast and listeners of the show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash clary just go to indeed.com slash clary right now and support our show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast indeed.com slash clary terms and conditions apply if you need to hire you need indeed this episode is brought to you by netsuite now as a business owner i always remember when my company hits a growth spurt it's great but then you realize that things start to break things are taking three times as long. Manual processes start to bury your team in paperwork and admin, and you really don't have one reliable source of data or truth to understand 
how healthy your business is. If this sounds familiar, you have to know three numbers. 37,000, that's how many businesses have upgraded to NetSuite, the number one cloud financial system. 25, NetSuite turns 25 this year. That's 25 years streamlining accounting, inventory, HR, and more for growing companies. And one, because your business truly is one of a kind, NetSuite gives you customized solutions so you can manage everything about your business in one place, from inventory to invoicing, one powerfully efficient system. I love having all of my data in one spot. NetSuite allows me to do that. It gives me the big picture so I can make smarter decisions. And they turn complex financials into understandable, actionable insights. Right now, you can get NetSuite's popular KPI checklist for free to help improve your business. It's designed to help you boost performance across key areas of your business. Go to netsuite.com slash scottclary to download the checklist and see how one complete system can transform your growth. That's netsuite.com slash scottclary. Get more control in your business with NetSuite. Just a quick question. Have you ever had one of those oh no moments when you realize that you accidentally deleted a huge file or worse, your whole computer dies. I know I have. It's happened to me a lot, but don't sweat it. The sponsor of today's episode, Backblaze, they have your back. It is unlimited backups for all your Macs, your PCs, or even your whole company, and it's really affordable, under 100 bucks a year. If you're running a business, they take the stress out of protecting everyone's data. If you need more bells and whistles for compliance, so on and so forth, they have enterprise options too. Honestly, losing data sucks, but Backblaze makes getting it back easy. They have restored billions of files. They offer tons of restore options, including rapid recovery in an event of data loss or ransomware. And you can access your backed up data from everywhere and anywhere in the world using their web app, iOS, or Android apps. It's been recommended by the New York Times, Inc., Macworld, PC World, LifeWire, Wired, Tom's Guide, 9to5Mac, and tons more. And best, you can try it fully featured with no risk at backblaze.com story. They set up that link for all Success Story podcast listeners. That is a no-risk free trial at backblaze.com slash story. Seriously, back up your stuff. I don't know about you, but the idea of being harassed, scammed, or even worse, all because somebody found my personal information online, that's terrifying. Our political opinions, our addresses, even stuff about our families, it's out there for anyone to grab. And did you know that data brokers are allowed to sell information on over 98% of Americans? It's scary stuff. That's why I've partnered with Delete Me. I personally use Delete Me. They're a big friend of the podcast because I put myself out there online. So safety is a huge concern. It's really scary how easy it is to find someone's details and information. But Delete Me creates a layer of protection that we all need. You tell Delete Me what you want gone and they make it disappear from those sketchy data broker sites. And Delete Me doesn't stop. They constantly monitor the web to keep your information off those lists. It's like having a privacy watchdog that never sleeps. You need to take control of your data and keep your private life private by signing up for Delete Me. They're giving a special discount for all success story podcast listeners. Get 20% off your Delete Me plan when you go to joindeleteme.com slash success and use promo code success at checkout. The only way to get 20% off is to go to joindeleteme.com slash success and enter code success at checkout. J-O-I-N-D-E-L-E-T-E-M-E dot com slash success. Hey everyone, I just want to take a second and thank the sponsor of today's episode, Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond Bourbon. Now I don't have a lot of liquor sponsors on this show. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is actually one of my favorites. I've drank it for a few years now, and this is why we actually decided to work together. 
Haven Hill Distillery, family-owned since 1935, is a great entrepreneur story too. So there's five brothers. They filled their first whiskey barrels back in 1935, and their legacy still lives on today. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond is aged over seven years. That's three more than required by the Bottled and Bond Act of 1897. This means the best quality, the best purity, and the best consistency. This is not just average bourbon. It's the winner of the double gold medals at multiple 2023 World Spirits competitions, and they've won the very prestigious Triple Still Award. It's a very big deal in the liquor and bourbon world. Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond boasts an exceptionally smooth oak flavor, while its aroma offers a sweet blend of caramel and smooth vanilla. If you love bourbon, you need to try Heaven Hill Bottled and Bond. Available nationally, look for a bottle at your local store. Heaven Hill reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely.